You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. Well, today again, we're continuing our study on Advent, meaning coming. We started with a helpful hope. As the Jewish people had a false hope, they looked for a Messiah that would come in as a conquering king. And rather what they got was a Messiah on a donkey, a servant. And then we move from a helpful hope to a perfect peace. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, My peace I give you, not as the world gives. Let your heart not be troubled. Boy, we are living in a day when we need this perfect peace, which only comes from a personal relationship with Almighty God. Because we could never experience the peace of God until we are at peace with God. And then last week we looked at joined joy, and we talked about John chapter 15 verses 1 to 11 as we dealt with abiding in Christ, being connected to the life source whom we celebrate this Christmas season, was God sending His Son into the world that we might have life and have life abundantly. So He encouraged all of us to faithfully walk and be abiding in Jesus Christ. And today, we're going to talk about a living, a living love. It's easy to talk about love, isn't it? It's easy for me to tell my wife, Honey, I love you. But it's another thing to live that out. And to live it out from a biblical perspective. Because in the world we live in, love is all messed up. We need a living love. A love that comes from and is defined by Almighty God. And so I hope that you'll be encouraged today as we speak about love. You know, one of the things I think is interesting is the idea of trademarks. Trademarks are designed to identify companies and products without having to go into to the intricate details. So if I were to throw up this trademark onto the screen, some of you would say, ooh. <laughs> but there is no doubt. You know what it is. And you know what they offer without ever saying a word. Some of you are now distracted because you want the new iPhone 13 for Christmas or a MacBook Pro or whatever the case may be. Nevertheless, the idea of trademark has worked. Maybe you're not a computer guy or a cell phone person, but what about this one? Yeah. You think about how bad your transmissions are. <laughs> right? Chevrolet. Silverado. Tracks, all of mine have the little engine light on. <laughs> I think I need to switch to Ford. <laughs> but, but nevertheless, again, the idea is to show you that you don't have to say anything. You just give a picture. It may be a little Geico. What do they sell? So the reality is, is trademarks are not simply logos, but they can be animals, they can be People, they can be jingles, right? What about this one? Yeah. 
I read an article about how poisonous this place is. But I told my kids the other night, we were having a date night, and they said, well, can we come home? I said, not yet. Go to McDonald's or something, you know. <laughs> but you get the point. Trademarks symbolize something. And the question that I have for you today is what is your trademark? What are you known by? If someone were to define you, what would it be that would define you? Turn with me, if you will, this morning to 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to talk about verses 7 to 14. A very powerful passage of Scripture that I want to encourage you with and by. Let us read. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. But the one who does not know God, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifest in us. That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. You know, as Christians, just like many companies... Out there, we are known by a trademark. And so, a Christian is known by something. This letter here is written to believers. The passage starts out with this word, beloved. The, the, the beloved would have been considered those believers, those Christians, those loved by John, by the Father, by Christ, the church. And so this message, this passage should speak to our hearts for those that are found within the household of God. And if you are here this morning, you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. I hope that by the end of the message, you will obtain the Spirit of God in your life through the transforming work of the Holy Spirit through the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that you can be marked by love. John instructs these Christians here as he says, let us love one another. Notice here that John includes himself in this command. Let us love one another. The Greek verb here is in the present tense. It, it gives this idea of this ongoing, this continual love. And so you could say it this way, let us go on loving one another. And the question that drives into our hearts as we come to this imperative, this command, is what does it mean to love? 
And are you doing it? It's one thing to know about it. It's another thing to live it out. Head knowledge is great, but it's superficial. We need action. We don't need to talk the talk. We need to rather walk the walk and glorify God with our lives. Listen to this definition that I found that I think sums it up very well. Agape love is what we find here. And agape love is a strong, non-sexual affection and regard for a person and their good as understood by God's moral character, especially characterized by a willing forfeit of rights or privileges in another person's behalf. John 13 is really a great example. Flip over in your Bibles there to John chapter 13. Because as I was considering this, I was reminded of this great truth of what happened there in the upper room discourse. As Jesus is getting ready to depart, listen to what He says. Now before the feast of the Passover... Jesus, knowing that His hour had come, that He would depart out of this world to the Father, having, what? Loved His own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. You say, well, that sounds good. How did He love them to the end? He loved them to the end by sacrificing. Not only Himself, but His life to them, to you and to me. And in the context of this situation in John chapter 13, we learn that the devil had entered Judas and yet still Jesus washed His feet. You see, some of us who have not put their faith in Christ have the devil in us. And we have an opportunity to exemplify the love of God by loving even those that are Judases in our lives. You know some Judases in your life? Amen. But let me remind you, Jesus is greater than the greatest Judas in your life. And when you have Christ who resides in you, when it is He who lives, it's no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you and through you, you can love even those who hate you the most. Even when they do it behind your back. You see, because all them at the table didn't know Judas was who he was. But Jesus knew even before He elected them to the position of disciples, one of them was the devil. Because Jesus is God in flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is divine. And He is all-knowing. And so we need to be reminded that as we end our sermon series of Advent with love, we are commanded to do 
what is seemingly impossible with man, but what is impossible with man is certainly possible with God. We are called, every single one of us who profess Christ, and even those who do not profess Christ, because whether they like it or not, Jesus is the Lord of their life. Whether they accept Him, reject Him, it means nothing. They will bow the knee to the King. But nevertheless, we are called to have a regard for these persons and their good as understood by God's moral character. That means if our love doesn't meet the criteria based upon God's moral character, then it is not agape love. And let me tell you, we live in a day when there is much confusion on the topic of love because what the world would say is if it doesn't hurt you directly, you can't speak out against it. But that which God calls evil, we ought to call evil. And that which He calls good, we ought to call good. And who cares whether they think this is true love when biblically speaking, true love never contradicts the moral character of God. That's love. So it's love to tell someone if you live in that habitual homosexual lifestyle, you will die and go to hell. How is it not loving if they will go to hell? It would be evil to pat them on the back and say, you were born that way because the Bible says, yes, you were, but you must be born again. The reality is, is we struggle in a day of what true love is. If your house is burning down, you better bet I want somebody screaming, wake up, steward, and get out. Not, oh, just as long as you're comfortable. <laughs> just hang in there. It might get a little hot. We are to have regards for a person and their good, forfeiting our rights and our privileges on behalf of someone else. That's true love. We are, as Christians, called to love, but let us not confuse what love is in a crooked generation. Now, I could probably say that in a little bit more loving way. And not with so much passion. But forgive me, I'm a little burnt out on this contemporary Christian culture. Who are sending people to hell. Because they are tickling the ears of their congregants. God has called me to preach the truth. He hasn't called me to build the church. He says, I will build my church. He's called me to proclaim the truth, the gospel, the good news. It's up to Him to fill the seats. We came when there was nobody here. You look now, you're like, wow, there's a lot of people here. No room. It ain't always been that way, my friend. <laughs> but I can promise you, it ain't me who's been growing the church. It's God. God shares His glory with no human. He is God. So we need to have regards for persons. What a job to love even your enemy. How can we really ever expect each other to accomplish such a noble task? It's not easy to love those who persecute your name. It's not easy to love those who blaspheme your character. It's not easy to love, to exemplify God's moral character in the life of someone 
wants to degrade your congregation. But let me tell you, we're called to love them. If your enemy is hungry, feed them. Romans chapter 12. If your enemy is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will what? Heat burning coals on their heads. Love them to death. If they're going to go to hell, you might as well love them there. The reality is, is we are called to an impossible task. But is it impossible? Seems impossible, does it? But I love Ian Bounds as he's asked the question, does God give commandments which men cannot obey? Is He so illogical to, and so severe as so unloving to issue commandments which cannot be obeyed? And if you don't know Ian Bounds, boy, you're missing out on a man of God. Listen to what he says. I love his response that the answer is that in all of the records of the Holy Scriptures, not a single instance is recorded of God having commanded any man to do a thing which is beyond His power. Is God so unjust? Is God so inconsiderate as to require a man of that which He is unable to render? To infer is to slander the very character of God. So if God calls us to love with an agape love, even those who hate us, you better bet you're able to do it. Now whether you do or not is kind of in your ballpark. And we're called to walk not in the flesh. The flesh wants to slap them in the face. The flesh wants to take their lives. The flesh just wants to rid the evil, but there is but one righteous judge, my friends. God will take care. Leave the wrath and the justice to God. You know, I was thinking in Scripture, as I do most of my pondering under the confines of falling rain in my home, and I ponder as I look at the ceiling, and I thought the other day, I wonder in Scripture, how many people who were persecuted in the Word of God, had to consistently defend themselves. You see, sometimes we have to be prepared to not give our side of the story. We have nothing to prove. We have but one whom we need to stand before, and that is God. So how can we expect to accomplish this? Well, God says we can. God could never ask His children to accomplish something that we could not do. Now I want to make it clear that this is an impossible task apart from God. So unless you are truly born again and dwelt with the Spirit of God at conversion, you could never accomplish this task. This task is beyond our earthly ability. And that's why we see here in verse 7, he says, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. I wonder why there's so much hate 
in the culture today and wonder why there's so much hate and dispute and bickering and fighting in the church today. Moaning and groaning. Fighting and bickering. Even over good things that God is doing. So we have to ask ourselves, are we a people who are filled with buildings of people who claim to know Christ, but don't have a relationship with Christ? You see, it's one thing to know the plan of salvation, but you must know the man of salvation. You're not saved by your deeds. You're not justified by your works, which you've done in righteousness. Titus 3, 4, and 5 explains that truth. But the reality is, we must be born again if we are going to exemplify this kind of love. We are sinful people. But when we are born again, (laughs) when we are made new, when we are regenerated, when we are justified, when we are declared right before Almighty God, He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. We will then be able to exemplify this love because love covers a multitude of sin. Aren't you glad God loved you? Aren't you glad we can celebrate Christmas, the birth of our Savior, by the greatest act of love we've ever seen? You see, we've made Christianity all about us, when really it has very little to do with me or with you. It has all to do with the glory and the grace of God. We need a a high view of God and a low view of man. But the culture wants to have a high view of man and a low view of God. But nevertheless, we know who's in control. So we have to ask ourselves this. Even when we think we're loving, do we love under God's moral character? Do we love with patience? Do we love with mercy? With purity? Do we love with self-denial? Do we love with humility? Do we love with modesty? Do we love with kindness? And do we love with a John 13 kind of love that Jesus exemplified? And that is to serve. Can I... When's the last time you serve somebody? You see, we are, we, we are growing in a culture that's teaching our children to be served. But Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Who are we? We, we need to be serving one another. And if we're going to serve one another, then it means we die to ourselves. Take up our cross daily and serve one another because in doing so, we exemplify a God-like love for one another. And when we exemplify that God-like love for one another, 
People will yearn for that. People will desire to be around people like that. We are called to love by serving one another. You see, it's hard to love one another with this kind of magnitude. It is impossible without Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. If God is loved, then everything that God does is based and rooted and entrenched in love. And that means everything we do should as well be rooted, entrenched, and baked in that same kind of love because you are a picture of Christ who lives in you. Can you say that today? That you've done this this month, this week, this year? Today, considered others better than yourself? And if you can't say amen, you got to say ouch. And sometimes when God steps on your toes, it's a good thing. Why? Because He disciplines those He loves. He prunes those who are connected to the vine so that they might bear much fruit. Right? He wouldn't call us to love if it wasn't possible. So God guides by example. And He says here in verse 9, By this, the love of God was manifest in us. This what? That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. By God sending His Son into the world, Christ our Messiah into the world. He has disclosed to you and He has disclosed to me and to the entire world that we are brothers and sisters in Christ and that we are to love by way of example. The love of God was manifested. Manifested means to make visible. We can see it. The love of God has been shown throughout all of the Bible, hasn't it? We see God and the way He loves people in the Old Testament. He, did, he delivered Noah from the flood. That's an act of grace, an act of love. He showed to Esther as she went before the king to give her favor. Showed her love and compassion and mercy and grace. And even from the very beginning of Adam and Eve, He removed them from the garden after they sinned so that they would not eat from the tree of life in that stance and live eternally separated from God. David is protected from Saul. The love of God is shown throughout all of the Bible. But His love, my friends, was made known to the world, was made manifested by God the Father sending His Son into the world. That's what we celebrate this Christmas is the grace and mercy of an almighty God who is full of wrath and justice, yet sees our inability, sees our separation because of sin and our need for a Savior. And He bursts through the floor system of heaven and becomes a man to expound to you and to meet grace so that we might be saved. Not so that you can be glorified, but rather so that God can be glorified. And you can love one another with this God-like love. 
Listen, we need to make sure we are exemplifying this. We don't just open presents on Christmas morning. Hang lights, put up stockings, place a tree in the corner. We are called to make known to the world that God has sent His Son into the world. We can't love God or others in our own strength, my friend. He says here in verse 10, in this is love, not that we've loved God, but that God loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Here's the answer to our problem. You say, Pastor, I don't have a problem. Oh, you got a problem. And the problem started way back in the Garden of Eden when God told Adam and Eve, do not eat from this tree, for in the day you will eat, you will surely die. And they ate and they died. Now, did they die physically? No, but they died spiritually. And Isaiah 59.2 says, Your sin had made a separation between you and your God. And there is a problem. God created us this way, but sin entered into our world. And because of sin, we've been separated from God. And man, in his best attempt, tries to get to God through good works, through morality, by going to church, reading their Bible. The problem is, you can't bridge that gap. And God sees your inability. He sees your incapability. And and he steps in to deliver. He steps in to rescue you from your broken relationship. And this is love. Not that you loved him, but that he loved you and sent his son that you might have life. You don't love God like you think you love God. Because in John chapter 14, Jesus says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. That'll karate kick you right in the head. You ever looked at a woman with lust in your heart or a man? Of course you have. You ever stolen anything? Of course you have. You ever lied? Of course you have. Even a little white lie. Some of us sinned this morning because you was frustrated with your kids because they, they left their shoes at home. Maybe you were frustrated with your wife because she was trying to make something happen in the mirror that just can't happen. <laughs> or maybe... Or maybe it's just the opposite. Maybe it's the man who's trying to make that which cannot happen, happen. <laughs> the reality is, the reality is this. God is able. God is willing. This is love. Not that you loved Him. But He loved you, sent His Son into the world. You see, we can't experience the good news that God has offered until we understand the bad news. And we've just talked about that. Now, all of this sin and separation is a problem. And in 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9, He reminds us that He will be dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, my friends, is a problem. Unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. We are all guilty. And God knows every detail and aspect of our life. And you could never save your own self. Even if you've lived a good life, you haven't lived a perfect life. That word sin, where the Bible says we've all sinned, the Greek word is hamartia. It's an archery term. The archer's job is to draw back his bow 
to hit the bullseye. Sin simply means miss the mark. Every single one of us have missed the mark of perfection. There's only one perfect, and that is Jesus Christ. He hit the bullseye. And unless we put our faith in Him, we could never experience the love of God. And we could never be loving as God has called us to love. This Christmas season, we celebrate love. Why? Because God is love. And He's shown us that in John 3.16. For God so loved the world, not the globe, not the trees and the, the atmosphere. No, the people in the globe. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever will believe in Him will not perish but have eternal life. He has exemplified to you and shown you this love by the sacrifice of His very own Son. We must love as God has called us to love. And if you and I will be honest this year, and I think we could all say we could love better. Just ask my wife, she'll tell you. Just ask my children, they'll tell you. Can I love better? Of course. I know better than you. We are called to love. Show grace. Mercy, patience, self-denial, humility, kindness, gentleness, self-control, while all relying on God. Here in verse 11, he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. There's the command again. God did love all of us. And therefore, we ought to love one another. It's something that we have to work on in the Christian community. Because if we are not loving one another, what hope is there? (laughs) If you who are born again and profess Jesus Christ and are indwelt with the Spirit of God, if you are unable to exemplify the love of God, what hope is there for a dying world? who is in desperate need of salvation. We need to work on it. I'm talking about brothers and sisters in the Lord loving each other with a God-like love. You know, when I became a pastor, I was encouraged not to become a pastor, by the way, by a pastor. (laughs) And he said, Brother Stewart, he was an older gentleman. And I understood what he meant. Now, I understood what he meant. At the time, I thought he was just a crazy old man. But he said, if you feel like God can call you to do anything else, do that. He said, because the sheep bite. We need to do better. At loving one another in the body of Christ. You see, I love what I do. Not for attention, but because it's in my bones. What am I going to do if I don't preach the good news of Jesus Christ? 
There is no gold. There is no money. There is nothing of value that would be worth it because one day, Lord willing, unless Jesus returns before I die, I will be in a box in front of this pulpit. And somebody will be preaching my funeral. And I will be before the Almighty God. What shall it profit a man if he gained the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? What's holding you back today from putting your faith in Jesus Christ? I mean, He died on a cross. He shed His blood that you might be saved so that you might be redeemed that you might be indwelt with the Spirit of God, that He might live through you, that He might love through you. We need to love. We need to be faithful. And the reality is this. Why? Because no one has seen God, verse 12, at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. See that we don't miss this fact. This passage says that, that at no time has, has anyone seen God. The fact that no one has seen God doesn't mean He's not visible, my friends. People ought to see God through you. What kind of God do you exemplify? What kind of character do you exemplify to the world to see? Because you define, based off your actions, who you worship. Because God is love. And when we don't love, we don't exemplify God. We exemplify the world. He was made manifest. He was made visible. This passage ultimately implies that when you and I love one another like God calls us to love, He shows up in the lives of those who demonstrate this love to others. And therefore, love is perfected in us. Who is doing the perfecting? Who is doing the sanctifying? This is why I'm really precautious about being a fruit judger. You know, if you walk out of here and you look over there at that parsonage, there's a bush. I have no idea what kind of bush it is. But it's a great reminder every time I look out of my office. That bush is alive. But if you look at that bush, it's got a shoot about this tall sticking out. And one about this tall. And I have to ask myself the question, are the rest dead? No. Some just grow quicker than others. Some are more sanctified than others. And we who are being sanctified have to be careful not to become the judge of the world because there is one righteous judge. We are called to love our enemies. We are called to love, to bring glory to God. So love reveals God in us, brings glory to God, shows the world the lost world around us, what He really looks like. Jesus said, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. Listen, if you're loving with a, a, a love like God is called to love, they see God in you and through you because of your love for one another. And He even says they will know that you are truly My disciples by the love that you have for one another. It's why I'm grateful to be a part of this church.
There's plenty of churches to go to, but I'm going to tell you right now, God has blessed this little church. And I believe that one day when that building gets built, however it gets built, because I can promise you it seems impossible, that God will continue to fill the seats. Not because I'm some great preacher, but by the way you love one another. Because when you love one another the way God calls us to love one another, it's attractive to a world who is desperate for true biblical love, which matches the moral character of God. We need to love. The reality is this, you exemplify. Now, you may have never met me, but if I stuck you in a room with all seven of my children, while I am not them and they are not me, you would see a glimpse of their father. The good, the bad, and the ugly. How are you exemplifying your father who is in heaven? by the way you love one another. The reality is this. He says here, verse 13, by this we know we abide in Him and He in us. How? By your love. Because He has granted to us, He has given us of the Holy Spirit. The, the trademark of the Christian should be love. When your friends and your family and the people you know see you, what trademark do you exemplify? Because the world wants to offer you so many different things to look like. Whatever your trademark is, the Bible says love should be the trademark of the Christian. Listen to what the Scripture says here in John chapter 15, verse 12. My commandment is this, that you love each other as I have loved you. How? Self-sacrificially. There's no greater love than one lay down his life for his friend. It's commanded in John 13, 34. A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's a command, it's an imperative, it's not optional. <laughs> it says over and over and over that our trademark should be love. And here in verse 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So do you love one another? Are you example or, or do you exemplify that you are truly a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? A follower of Jesus Christ. You know it by the fact that you love. It's proof that you are born again. It's proof that you abide in Him and He in you. By the way you love. It's not works. That's a byproduct of salvation. Galatians 2.21 says, if you could be saved by keeping the law, then Christ died needlessly. He wouldn't need to die on the cross. You just need to be good enough. So to assume you can somehow, some way, work your way into the kingdom of God, and that God's going to go, oh, you're good, outweighed, you're bad. No, He says your greatest deeds are filthy rags. 
The only way we can be in the presence of God is because He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. You must be as perfect and holy as Christ Himself. How is that possible? Because you need to be in Christ. So when God sees you, He doesn't see you, He sees Christ. You need to be covered in the blood of the Lamb. Listen, 1 John 3.14, we know we have passed from death to life. That's salvific. Because we love each other. And some of us need our, our thinkers to be readjusted. Because we have a perverted view of what love is. We are defined. We define the character of God by the way we handle ourselves. First John 4.20, whoever claims to love God, yet hates his brother or sister, is a liar. That's strong terminology. Why? Because to hate a brother is murder. It's murder. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. God takes this love thing seriously. And so we have to evaluate ourselves and our motives to make sure that we are exemplifying a Christ-like character in the way we love one another. Because when we love, we only do so by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So we have to pray that God would grant us that ability to love in this kind of fashion. And when we love, it truly shows, verse 14, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. This morning, if you can't testify, if you can't proclaim to the world that the Father sent the Son into the world to give you life and life abundantly to save you from your broken and impossible gulf that separated you from God, then you can't love. And if you can't love, you can't exemplify this reality and testify the gospel that God sent His Son into the world. An infant. To be crucified, buried in a tomb, and raised again on the third day. And by this love we have for each other, it's the action that proves we truly abide, my friend. John 15, 5, as we looked at last week, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Apart from me you can do nothing. When we love, it shows that we bear fruit, my friend. So if you haven't loved well, praise God He's gracious. Praise God He's merciful. But if you confess your sins, 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's the hope that we celebrate this Christmas season, this infant, this baby, Jesus, who grew into a man. And he gave up his life. He was crucified. That he might, as he promised in John 14, 
I will send the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who will come and take up residence in you. And you will then be the ones who exemplify who the Father is by the way you love one another. So we need a living love. We don't need a dead love that simply talks the talk but doesn't walk the walk. We need a love that is living and active and pursues the opportunity to do so with patience, and mercy, self-denial, humility, and kindness. And what better time to focus on that than this Christmas season? As God demonstrates His own love toward us, and while yet we were sinners, God sent His Son to die for us. So, you have a living love? Let us walk out of these doors today. Forget what lies behind and press forward to the goal that lies ahead. Born again. Begin the process of loving with a living love and exemplify Christ-like character. Let's pray. Well, thank you for listening to our program today. We pray that you were blessed and trust that you will join us again. If you do not have a church home, Pastor Stuart Guthrie would like to personally invite you to join in person at Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, or you can visit them on their website at familybiblefellowship.org. May God bless you this week as you walk with Him.